And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels, brought to you by Tops Project 70. Be sure to check out Tops Project 70 over at tops.com. A lot of great cards live right now. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. It is Thursday, July 1st. Yes, new month, new day. Not a new day regularly, just the uh, the byproduct of chaos in our lives, chaos. I think, is probably the best way to put it. Yeah, um, we both drove a long way in traffic to different places to get today's episode in. I had an off day on Wednesday. I mean, it's just been a whirlwind. My July is going to be the craziest month of my life. I will explain why <laughs> over the course of the month. I will keep people updated because I think finding out about it piecemeal is more fun than me just giving away the entire plot up front. <laughs> yeah, we'll have some fun with that. I was on a trip to meet a uh, new niece um and uh her she's beautiful she's tiny her name is zelda uh but it's not after the video game hmm. please it's uh <laughs> after zelda uh, fitzgerald which is a uh a, a, a worthy namesake and a beautiful name but also uh for most of her life she'll have to say no not the video game <laughs> yeah i mean I can't wait until we get to the point later this year in which you and I will probably play an intoxicated game of Mario Kart and I will probably stupidly wager naming rights to a future <laughs> child and likely I will lose. Here's my son, Wario. <laughs> yes. I, I hope you put a lot of thought into whether I have to name a kid Wario or Waluigi or Yoshi Please choose wisely if I happen to lose that game. Uh, the main focus on this episode is going to be second half performance surgers because as we flip the calendar to July, it's a good time to check in, see some players that could be in line for big second halves for one reason or another. There's plenty of ways to do this. You could find players who are just getting playing time for the first time and project them to have big second halves because of the opportunity. Uh, I, I thought the first way to go about it was to take the performance from the first half of the season, look at rest of season projections for the second half, and find the players with the biggest difference, the guys who have lagged the furthest behind their projections to this point. So we're going to have a group of hitters we'll talk about, we'll have a group of pitchers we're going to talk about, and a few other topics that we'll get to along the way that are somewhat related. Let's start with the hitters, though. You know, with that methodology, it pulled an interesting list. Jared Kelnick was among the first players that it popped up. And I think we're going to see Kelnick likely in the second half of the season after the All-Star break. He is scheduled to play in the Futures game on the Sunday leading into the break. At that point, it would not be surprising at all if he came back and got that second opportunity with the Mariners. Plenty of reasons to believe it'll go a lot better the second time around. The numbers at AAA have been very good over the last few weeks. It seems like he's really cut down on the swing and miss issues that were plaguing him during his time in Seattle. I think of the players we're going to talk about, he's the most difficult one to really buy into right away, if only because there's less of a track record to look back on, right? It's the, just the very nature of dealing with players trying to break through for the first or the second time. Well, not to blow up your rundown, but the next name on the list, Keston Hira, I think belongs in a bucket with him. Um, you have more of a track record with Keston Hira, but you have more of an established whole, established flaw in the game. So uh, it's kind of interesting they both showed up on this list. I also think their projections are fairly similar. Like if you just sort of uh, cross your eyes a little bit, you get like a 230 batting average with power and speed um, and maybe some questions about playing time. And a lot of questions about contact rate. Um, your your decision there, if both of these guys are out there, is do I take um, a guy who's like soared to great heights in the major leagues, 
but has what seems like a more established hole? Or do I take the guy who has less of a track record and actually count that as a positive in this case, right? Because if you're comparing these two guys, the having less of a track record might be a positive because the track record heroes put up is kind of like a 33% strikeout rate and some real issues uh, when it comes to contact ability. Right. I think it's easy to see with Hira, if he has a terrible July, the Brewers are going to make a trade and probably put him into more of a part-time role. Demotion 3 could be on the horizon for him before the end of the season if it doesn't go well. And with Kelly, we just don't know when that call-up is. So if you're talking about like, yeah, when he comes up, he's probably a little bit safer for playing time because the Mariners are going to be like, hey, we're just we're calling him up and we're going to give him the rest of the season. We got to see what we got here now, you know? Um, but uh, with Yura, there is uh, a different risk where he's like, he's on the team now, so I'm getting the playing time now. But, uh, you know, Brewers 1B is probably on everybody's, like, list of places uh, contenders could improve. <laughs> um, and uh, fairly easily, perhaps, uh, you know, traditionally first basemen have been easy to acquire. It's not like Hura is a super mashing second baseman that you're trying to replace. That's a little bit harder. Yeah, and I think that could lead him to a small side platoon role or, or you know, two or three starts a week max if, again, July goes poorly and the Brewers make that sort of upgrade. But I think part of being interested in either one of those players, especially in redraft leagues, obviously the keeper and dynasty appeal with Kelnick hasn't changed all that much even with the sluggish start to his big league career. I think if you're looking at the redraft purposes, I'd rather be in the situation, if I had my choice, if the price to trade for them was equal, if we're in a pretty shallow league where they're both available, like a 10-team mixed league, I'm more likely to go after Hira because he's already up. You don't have to wait those couple of weeks that you're going to have to wait for Kelnick. I'd rather have the playing time in hand now than have to wait for it later. Uh, Both players fit perfectly as guys that you'd want to get if you're lagging offensively and trying to make up ground in the second half. We talked about this a lot with Ariel Cohen on the Athletic Fantasy Baseball podcast earlier this week. You have to start taking more chances if your team is underperforming. You need high-variance players. Like With Hira, you've seen the floor, and you've probably seen the ceiling, too, on a per-game basis. Everything going right for him is what we saw in 2019. Everything going wrong for him is what we just saw here in the first part of 2021. So where he splits the difference, whether it's right down the middle, closer to 2019, closer to 2021, that, of course, is the game itself. But the possibility of him getting back closer to 2019 that's why you're interested if you're trying to chase. That's why you go after him because he can be a potential three, a five-category player if he gets the batting average anywhere near 300. It's far-fetched based on the contact rate not getting any better, but it's at least possible. He's at least proven that those are skills that he has when everything's going right. Yeah, and it's also really interesting uh, to think about like the projections favor Hero. You know, the OBP is a little bit better. The bat, the, the uh, batting average is a little bit better. And um, the I think it has to do with some of the stat cast stuff under the hood being better. The max EV is better. The barrel rate's been better. Um, and, you know, it all, you know, it's all in that strikeout rate. Is it 37% or is it 33 or 31? Um, but I almost think, and this is a little bit weird for me to say, I almost think the projections are irrelevant right now on those two. Like you could really just go with feel on this one, I think, because we're talking about this high variance that you're talking about. So you're talking about somebody's going to get a 75th percentile outcome and somebody's going to get a 25th percentile outcome. And my computer is going to go to sleep unless I plug it in. So I got to figure out something real quick. Hold on. (laughs) While Eno tries to plug in his computer, I will filibuster and talk about a couple other players that I think are interesting. Uh, Luke Voigt made the list and injuries are the main reason, I think, why he's underperformed. I think we saw this a few seasons ago, pre-abdominal injury, middle of the order masher. After suffering the abdominal injury, very replaceable, fringy sort of fantasy contributor. So... I think Voigt kind of fits into the same bucket as a guy like Jorge Soler. Like In the case of Voigt and Soler, both of those guys, I think, have shown incredible power skills when healthy. That's the key, when healthy. So how much are you willing to buy into guys that have had pretty significant nagging injuries over the last couple of seasons in Voigt and Soler, seeing that they're also among the players that really pop with this method? Yeah. Um, in this case, uh, I just think that you have to also think about the park, you know, um, no matter what's happening, 
uh, Voight's going to get a boost from that part and that lineup, honestly. So, um, and also just, I think he's a better hitter. I just from watching him, you know, like I think Solaire has trouble with spin and you can throw him breaking balls in the zone. And that's when he gets into like real long funks. Whereas I think Voight uh, just has a big swing. You know, I think his the sometimes I think he's kind of the guy, the modern guy where he's going to strike out a little bit because he he takes hacks. So uh, I pretty comfortably want Void. I have, I'm not looking at the projections right now. What do you think? I mean, are you looking at the projections for these two or Void is projected more favorably, but they're a lot closer than I would have expected. Like you get seven more points in average, three more points of OBP. Power is very comparable. I mean, the WOBA is the same. Like that's that's the surprising part. The mm. team context, though, is where you get separation. Even though the Yankees have underperformed as a team, that offense, even underperforming, to me is comparable. It, it's comparable to like a top ten offense when it's starting to work again. The Royals are probably more like a top end of the bottom ten sort of offense. That separation could matter. It could be fifteen ish runs and RBIs each from now until the rest yeah. of the season with everything else being equal with the possibility to be more. Yeah. I was just on Starkville um, and uh, uh, was talking with them and we were talking about like sort of biggest surprises and disappointments. And, you know, the Yankees were the biggest disappointment for me, uh, even though, you know, the twins have cratered and there's some other surprises in a bad way. Um, but I had to say that like under the hood, this Yankees team doesn't look as I, like, I know there's people out there. The New York market is just rough. And I just know there's people out there that are like, this is the worst team ever. Cashman should be ashamed. All this stuff. And I know Cashman's out there saying he is ashamed. And I think that's just sort of playing along and like, and like trying to goose the team a little bit, but they're third in the league in barrel rate in that park. They had the best bullpen by Fangrass Ward. I think even if you look by ERA, they're like top three, their rotation is top five by Fangrass War. So is it really a bad team? I could see this team catching fire. And then maybe people would be like, ooh, Cashman really lit a fire under their butts. You know, and it's like, no, it's just like some regression happened. <laughs> some guys got healthy. I don't know. Uh, the the Bronx narratives are always a little bit ridiculous. I think it's more warranted to panic about them on July 1st than it was on April 25th, right? I think that's when it started. I think the main underperformers for me are Glaber Torres and DJ LeMahieu. I mean, those guys both have lost a ton of power compared to what we've seen in previous seasons. Glaber's been missing it for a calendar year now. LeMahieu, it's just a drop-off so far through the first half of this season. And I think a lot rides on getting a better second half from Jamison Tyone, who I think as of maybe like six weeks ago looked like a possible buy low, but it seemed like you weren't as firm on him upon further inspection as you might have been initially. We'll get into some pictures a little bit later on. I think all of this is to say, with the Yankees in particular, are there some biases, let's call I don't even know if a projection system can have a bias necessarily. I feel like that's a thing a person has to have. Are there elements of a projection system that steer it to lean more heavily on the Yankees' track record than it should right if, if projections favor older players because of their longer track record and this is a generally older team wouldn't projections therefore be higher than they should be or slower to respond to actual flaws with this roster and then you would uh see that most likely in the runs and rbi projection i guess right because right. that's the sort of team context situation and the, and and definitely the you know runs an RBI uh, together combined. Voit uh, has about five to ten more than Soler in, yeah. in the projections. Um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think it is also interesting. The bat X is the most favorable projection on Soler and the least favorable projection on Luke Voit. If you go there, you might pick Soler. Yeah, I wonder if that's got a lot to do with just the type of hard contact that Soler tends to make, right? He's a barrel freak, and yeah. that uh, that carries a lot of weight in that projection system. 18.5% in the shortened season, 16% back in 2019, and even still 11.2% this year. Max exit velocity hasn't really tailed off from where it was 
Uh, I do think both Voight and Soler are legitimate bounce-back candidates. I think Voight's going to be more expensive in a trade. He's less likely to be dropped in a 12-team league. I picked up Soler in my online championship a couple weeks ago because someone actually did cut him loose. And I understand like injuries sometimes pile up, and a player like that does have to get dropped. But I think he's still good enough to be rostered in a league where you know, 60 outfield eligible players have to be started at any given time and another 20 plus or at least rostered in those leagues. One, well, one thing that I that I um, that might make my decision or help me make my decision is my personal bias towards uh, contact. So I think I would pick uh, Jared Kelnick and I would pick Voight. And uh, like looking at this year, you're like, well, they're, they both strike out a ton. But Voight's projected to make more contact and has made more contact in the past. And I just it's just more it's more balls in play. It's more chances for singles, RBI runs, you know, getting on base. Um, you know, even I think it even affects your ability to hit homers in a, in, a, in a weird way. I mean, it's just more chances, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think I'm I think I'm on team uh, Kalnick and Voight here. All right. Well, I'm on Hira and Solaire because of the relatively lower cost potentially on both. But also, I think they make more sense if you're chasing more standings points. I think if you're a little closer to contending, the higher floor projection guys can make sense. You're trying to protect points. The higher floor guys make a little more sense. Uh, where do you put guys like Eugenio Suarez and Anthony Rendon? Because they've underperformed in a pretty big way and projection still really believe in them based on their respective track records. Like I I think of the players in this group, they're easily the players I'm the most confident in because I trust their skills the most. And with Suarez, maybe maybe the defensive change is still wreaking some havoc on him. The way he thinks about hitting is is just not quite there because he's thinking so much about the mistakes he's making defensively. Yeah, I just can't get over the fact that for Rendon, you know, we're writing his epitaph and He's still, you know, walking at double digits, making great contact. He, we've now gotten almost the exact same sample as we got last year. And last year he was 54% better than league average. And this year is 10% worse. Like, just mash them together, dude. <laughs> you know? Like, he's probably not going to continue uh, being as crappy as he's been. Um, and the, what was the other one again? It was, uh, it was Suarez. And- but Suarez, the, the strikeout rate thing has been going on for a long time. I don't. Yeah, I don't see that going away. So I think Suarez, relevant to your other sort of comparison for these guys, Suarez um, is probably easier to acquire. Yeah, the more high variance player of the bunch, and I, his defense isn't grading out as poorly as I would have thought. I, I have visions of what was happening back in April just stuck in my mind, where it was like the multiple error games were the the store the the norm for him. But even just compared to the defensive value he provided or failed to provide during the shortened season, it's not that different. So I don't know. I don't know if that can really be an excuse. I think you're right to point out the jump in K rate. That goes all the way back to 2019 when he popped the 49 home runs. That might just be who Suarez is as a hitter now. He's at the higher end of the scale K rate wise. And this type of of hitter doesn't age particularly well. If you're striking out 30% of the time, before your age 30 season, it can be a bit of a cliff. I will say that since about halfway through the first half of the season, um, so I guess the second quarter of the season, uh, his hard hit rates are up, his strikeout rate is down. I mean, he was at 42% at some point, strikeout rate this year. Um, And I think since that crest, he's, he's been settling in around 28%. So when I say the strikeout rate is here to stay, it might just be a sort of normal 28, 30% that a lot of sluggers hold, right? Um, and his hard rate rate is up, and there's dis- definitely been some change in his reach rate uh, over the course of the season. So um, maybe it is tied into you know the position change and just being, you know, uh, maybe he just didn't have as much time to prepare as a hitter because he's preparing so much as a defender and wanted to prove he could be a shortstop. I mean, I just wrote a piece about how the Giants are getting the most out of Posey, Crawford, you know, sorry about Bell, but, uh, and Longoria. But, you know, the way that they're doing that is by coaching and having the biggest coaching staff in the league, but also uh, preparing them better than ever. And um, so if you're Suarez and you're like, all of a sudden, like, now I got to think about these different shifts I haven't done. I got to take more ground balls. Maybe you're like, 
I know all these pitchers I can, I can hit my way. Uh, you know, I'll just rely on natural ability uh, to hit. And maybe now he's, I mean, he's playing more third now, right? I, I saw him, Kyle Farmer out there the other day. What's, what's his, uh, I mean, look at his game log. What's he been doing? When's the last time you played short? Last time he played short was, uh, oh, about that demarcation that I have. Hmm. Like, I mean, it's kind of funny. If you actually sort of mo- like mark the moment where he started playing third base more often, his hard hit rate goes up, his reach rate goes down. Uh, you know, they're, they're not, they're not autom- automatons, right? <laughs> like, no, they're, hu- they're it, humans. It's pretty stressful. I mean, he, he signed up for it. I'm sure it was good for his, it would be good for his career to like, mash as a shortstop right before uh you know in the i think his contract is near up so you know that would have been good for his career to to go out on there uh no he's with the team forever shut up you know but anyway it's good like he's like yeah i'm a shortstop yeah baby like let's do it like you guys need a shortstop let's do it and then he's like whoa this is hard and i'm not hitting well and they put him back at third and he's like yeah yeah let me get back into my routine of you know checking out the opposing pitchers and and uh, and and getting ready for the game the way I used to. So, yeah, they really backed off that about six weeks ago, middle of May. Like the last time he played short or started it short was May 29th. Look at the Fangraphs graphs. They have this really cool thing called graphs where you can kind of go in there and you can go by game and see like a rolling graph of of different stuff. I just threw in hard hit, reach rate, and strikeout rate, and pretty clear demarcation about six weeks ago. <laughs> We had a, a question come in about a player that doesn't have much of a track record. I think this is the other type of player I was describing at the beginning. It's like, well, it could be someone like this. question comes from Baxter. He's just curious if we have any thoughts on Harold Ramirez for the rest of the season because he's showing some really intriguing improvements just in the underlying stat cast metrics. Average exit velocity is up I think over 4 miles per hour compared to where it was two years ago. Max EV looks good around 114. K rate's not bad. And the sprint speed is also up above the 90th percentile. Uh, any thoughts on Harold Ramirez? Yeah, I've I've rostered and dropped him about a million times in Devil Rejects. <laughs> I don't know how many times. Like I'm if Abraham Toro like takes off, I'll be mad about that too because I dropped him, uh, picked him up and dropped him. Harold Ramirez is an older Abraham Toro where he's just he's solid, right? Like he he makes enough contact. He doesn't walk a lot, but um, you know he showed enough power in the minor leagues where like if he has above average power and that contact rate and like pretty good defense, like he's going to be a player and uh, the Marlins gave him a chance. And, you know, he was not, he was basically replacement uh, for two thirds of a season, but he also wasn't showing these stat cast numbers. Then I saw in Alex Chamberlain's um, dynamic hard hit rate that Harold Ramirez actually uh, shows as a very good uh, a player, a max EV of 115, 114.5 is great. A bail rate of 8.9% is pretty good. I mean, I think if Hal Ramirez is sitting out there on your on your wire, like pick him up, pick him up. Like he's a, I think that he's what the 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 uh, the Cleveland team's been looking for, right? Like he's a like a guy who can play center field and will hit 280 with like 15 homer pop and like five steals. It's, I think that could even work in in 12 teamers if you're just looking to uh, you know accrue more counting stats on days like if it's a head-to-head you just need an extra outfielder that sort of deal like i think he's a pretty good addition to any team and in terms of trading for him like it's not going to cost anything i doubt his owner believes in him so yeah uh, agreed on on ramirez more good than bad kind of like paper over situation right where you're just like i'm looking to paper over some flaws here i've lost some people i need some i need a fresh i need a a a live body i think that uh he's a little bit he's a little bit better than that need those counting stats and you actually get a glimmer of upside with it. It just seems like he's a different player than he was when we last saw him in Miami and projections aren't necessarily caught up to that yet. I think that's where the appeal comes in for me with Harold Ramirez. And as Baxter pointed out, Josh Naylor's out for a long time, might be out for the rest of the season. That solidifies playing time for Ramirez. Do we Ramirez. have a uh, diagnosis on it? Yeah, it didn't look good. It didn't look good at all. I, I saw yeah. at least August they were trying to figure out if he needed surgery, so that, that situation is uh, a bleak one, which is too bad because I think Naylor still has one more level that he's going to reach. He's, he's on that list. He's on the list of DVR's guys. I, I don't don't know what it the, is exactly. It's the hit tool, mostly. 
Yeah, and the chatter uh, in San Francisco around Belt, just to uh, bring that, that injury up, it didn't look as bad. I mean, he just sort of tweaked it when he was running, but that was this, the one that he had uh, 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 that he had surgery on. I know that uh, they're saying that he's expected to uh, avoid surgery, but there was definitely a lot of uh, certainty off record that um, he would have that surgery, so... I'm trying to hold on to Bell, but I might I might drop him in some places just because that's like microfracture plus uh, plus a tweak. Yeah, could just even if they say avoid surgery, it's like oh yeah, but it's, he just needs he needs like three, four, five weeks, and you're like, why did I hold on to Ben Bell for like five weeks? I needed. I needed somebody else in that spot. Yeah, yeah, especially in the non-IL situations. Unfortunate, too, because I think he was among those Giants hitters, definitely showing us another level here in 2021. The process stats were amazing. I mean, for all those guys, they all have, like, the best reach and barrel rates of their career. So uh, with Longo coming back, like, you know, switch bell for Longo if you need a CI. Yeah. I mean, is Longo, not, is he not, coming back before the All-Star break? back, like, yeah. imminently. But, like, <laughs> quicker than Bell. Yeah, hard. Still hard to stash guys like that, especially in twelve-team leagues. Though, right. uh, hopefully, it gives you an idea of a few hitters that might be able to help you out in the, the second dogs half. Came with me. They came with you. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> they, they go on the road. How, how do they do in the car? They used to. They used to have trouble with it, but uh, now they just sleep the whole way in the car. So nice. Uh, that's good. It's good to have dogs that do well in the car. As I, uh, great to have dogs that love to bark. They love to be a part of the show. They are a part of the show. They're the fourth and fifth hosts of Rates and Barrels. So I hope they know they're valued as a part of the show. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, you know, let's move over to pitching as we look for a few arms to possibly take a step forward in the second half. Same methodology was used here, just looking at the FIP from the first half compared to projected FIP in the second. Basically just looking for guys that have underperformed expectations who should get back closer to what we expected. And this turned up a pretty interesting group of players as well. Kenta Maeda, who I think was already a buy low about six weeks ago, just on principle, you know, draft day cost compared to what he'd done to that point. Now that we've seen more of his season, what is your interest level in trading for Maeda? Do you buy into Maeda sort of getting back to normal, maybe being a high threes ERA, 120 sort of whip pitcher with a strikeout per inning going forward? Uh, Kenta Maeda was the biggest loser in stuff plus, uh, when we did the update. And so, uh, I dinged him pretty badly, but if you look at, uh, the stuff plus over time, um, the last three starts have been, uh, would, I would say over a hundred stuff plus. So he's, he like cratered at 85 stuff plus in late April, in early April at some point. So I would say, looking at this, it's actually a little bit similar to the Luis Castillo graph where it's just gotten better over time. Uh, Castillo is a better buy low, if that's still possible for you, because I believe Stuff Plus is, can move ahead of uh, some of these uh, projection systems. And um, so I'm going to say I may have penalized him too much because I was just so mad <laughs> about, the, about the update being like, oh, I've been saying Kenta Maeda is a buy low because he's had 107 stuff plus this whole time. Um, and uh, now he has like a 92. Uh, but he's back. He's up to 100, you know. And I think that uh, league average stuff, good command. And then the thing that stuff plus does not capture, 
which is a large array of pitches. So you're talking about a guy now that has above, slightly above average stuff, a lot of pitches, decent command, does not pitch in um, a, a hitter's park, uh, may have some patsies on the schedule. Mm, that was mean. May have some good spots on the schedule <laughs> <laughs> uh, in the second half. So, Yeah, I think the high threes ERA I threw out there could be a little too optimistic based on what the projections say. Uh, but I do think he's on that list of pitchers you should consider trading for. More good than bad in that profile. It's certainly a good sign that the stuff number is trending back in the right direction. Breaking news. Love it. What do we got? Jacob DeGrom has given up three runs today in the first inning. Uh-oh. Here comes the panic. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, so his ERA is over one. Uh, <laughs> Sell, sell. Get out now. So, uh, I Looking at forward at the rest of this list, and we'll get to the names, uh, Maeda is my second favorite buy on this list. I'm going to go on a limb and say that the next person I put on the list, Patrick Corbin, is not your favorite person on this list. I think we've had a few oh, conversations. No, as a person, I don't know. He seems like a nice guy. I don't have any issues with Patrick Corbin as a person. I uh, <laughs> As a pitcher, though. We have been concerned for a while that being so dependent on that slider and often being a two-pitch guy makes him very predictable. That's the problem, and that just hasn't changed. So relative to Maeda, I think you're talking about trading a lot less to get him. I think there are some shallow mix leagues where Corbin has been on the wire for a little while. Uh, what's your assessment based on some of the recent trends with, with stuff in command for Corbin? I mean, he's trying to throw in some other wrinkles, uh, throwing, you know, the the sinker more, throwing a cutter. He's even throwing a changeup. And three of his last four starts have been some of the most he's used the changeup. However, let me list the uh, stuff pluses. I'll even I'll even be charitable to him and lift the stuff pluses within pitch type, right? So this is how good these pitches rank against other pitches of their pitch type. Uh, the cutter 97, that's the best one. Sinker 86 stuff plus within sinkers. Changeup 68 stuff plus within uh, changeups. And the curveball 50. And 50. And I think it's pretty obvious. You could just go to Brooks or something. There's just the, the curveball is his slider, but slower. Like there's no differenti- differentiation. And that's one of the things that stuff plus. Um, you know, in this iteration, I think has actually started to capture is that these things have to me- mix together. And it does matter if your curveball, like Robbie Ray stopped throwing that curveball pretty much, right? Like he, because it was just a slider, but slower. You know? <laughs> so it's like, why am I throwing that pitch? Let me throw the superior one. If there's not going to be really that much of a differentiation, you know? So, um, yeah, I'm not really buying Corbin, dude. The dogs aren't either. The dogs are definitely out on Corbin. He's uh he's like been on a bunch of my NFBC waivers, and I've just been like, mm, there are other things I'd rather do. I'd rather almost chase like the hot new flavor of the month, you know, young pitcher wise. You know, the National Stadium is not uh, pitcher friendly. No, no. It, going back to your your high drives piece, geez, two years ago now, twenty nineteen. It's one of those environments that you think is like neutral or pitcher-friendly that plays more hitter-friendly. Uh, I think that works against Corbin as well. I think if he recovers, you have a pretty interesting mix of projections on him overall. It's probably a mid-fours ERA the rest of the way, as opposed to the high threes that we've grown accustomed to or the low threes even that we saw in 18 and 19. It's kind of amazing. Shows up on this list. You're like, oh yeah. So he must have good projections, right? Like it must be. But you're like, so he's been so bad that like going from a 540 to a 440 gets him on this list. Yeah. (laughs) Like, uh, well, I don't really want to be out here buying 440 ERA pitchers. No, I think he actually makes the most sense in like an NL only league where you're just trying to get bulk a lot of times. But and your ERA has been like. There's ballast on your ERA, right? Like whatever your ERA is now, you know, maybe you maybe you kind of did like a skimpier thing and like a more reliever thing, and your ERA is pristine. 
Like, and then you get 440 from him going forward, but you get you get some wins. I mean, I do think the Nationals team is on the rise a little bit, um, and their offense has been clicking a little bit more. So I think Soto is going to get it together, and Bell is in the midst of getting together. So, yeah, he'll win some games, uh, giving up three or four and in five innings or whatever. It won't be amazing, but in an NL only, you'd be like, I banked a win, I banked six Ks. You know, and my ERA uh, was half determined anyway. I I got a lot of notifications this week when Victor Robles hit his first home run of the season. <laughs> it was uh, sort of damning with faint praise situation. <laughs> you know what? Congratulations on your first home run. <laughs> Some people know when to put on the, the life vest and get out of the boat. And some people are like me and they just... They ride the boat to the bottom of the floor. I've got one share in an Omni League. It's like a points league. It's like the very worst place to have him. But I just, he's just like my last outfielder that I'm like, well, I've got nobody else I can play today. Victor Robles, come on down. It's great. You know, I feel so Anu, good. There's like almost no reason to cut a $1 player because <laughs> you don't get any money back. So that's, that's how I found use for Robles. Oh. Sorry. One of my greatest humiliations of the 2021 season to oh, this point. Alan Webster. Ah, we don't have to. We don't have to do that today. <laughs> the sun is out. <laughs> yeah, let's 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 be optimistic here. There there are more good things happening than bad. Let's just focus on the good for a little while longer here. Uh, Blake Snell popped on this list because, well, he's been pretty bad so far, and projections point to a guy that shouldn't be nearly as bad going forward. And the spread here is interesting because it, with the method I used, again, looking at FIP so far versus projected FIP, uh, we're talking about a guy that should be a run and a half better going forward than he has been to this point. That's a pretty significant difference right a 529 actual era current fip is 426 projected fip going forward from the bat is 375 and that's the worst blake snell projection out there right now like i i had the worst blake snell projection that i used for this and he still came up as one of the most likely pitchers to be better in the second half looking at it this way i don't know why that damn changeup keeps coming back god just throw it away Oh, it seemed like he had ditched he it did too it for a second. And that was his, his best uh, start by stuff. Plus of the season was the one where he didn't throw any. And in that game, he struck out 10 Mets with one walk and like in seven innings, got a win. You're like, yeah, dude. So maybe when he came back against the Mets again, he's like, well, I got to throw the changeup because, you know, I got to, I got to put a wrinkle in it. Well, that game didn't work out so well at Colorado. You can, I think he can throw out. And then uh, against the Dodgers, pretty good start, six twenty-two. So I'm all in, man. I'm buying. This is the this is my favorite one on the list. This is the one I want. He still has the stuff. Um, I'm not. I don't think he's. I can look at this real quick. I don't think he's on my um, spin rate losers uh, thing. So I don't know. I'm just. Uh, I I say you know ditch the changeup, but uh, even without that piece, I think he's a good pitcher mostly am in on Snell. I think he's easily the most expensive to trade for of all the pitchers we're going to talk about in this cluster. And the weirdest thing to me is just the walk rate spiking this wildly. 13.2%. I mean, that's the highest it's ever been. That's even higher than it was back when he debuted with the Rays in 2016. He's kept the strikeouts. Uh, home run rate is up a little over some of his better seasons, but it's actually better than it was last year. So, I definitely see enough reasons to go after him. I think projections-wise, he's got the best ratios of any of these three pitchers going yeah. forward. You know, one of the most simplest ways to find good guys to buy or strike out minus walks, you know? And and he's okay there. And and actually good there. Um, and uh, his command plus is 96. I think it is all the changeup. He can't command the changeup. So he throws a bunch of changeups. He gets a bunch of walks. It's like, what did you think you were going to get? It's not a great pitch, and you can't command it. So let's move on. You know, not not I mean about like Snell. I mean like like let's just move on from the changeup. Uh, so his strikeouts minus walks, even with that high of a of a thing, he's got uh, like seventeen percent, nineteen. What is it? Got it wrong. 17 percent. So you know that's not amazing, but the projections say the walks will go down. We have a reason to believe the walks will go down, and it is above average. So. Um, 
Plus, you can bank all those strikeouts. That's a useful thing in and of itself. Let's move on from Blake Snell because the next guy is the best puzzle of all. So Patrick Sandoval has a 389 ERA in 44 innings this season. He's pitching pretty well lately. A 473 FIP. So again, oh, that's interesting. It's but then like the, the projected FIP is closer to the ERA that he's given us so far. Yeah, and the projections are kind of closer to like league average ratios, low fours ERA, low one thirties WHIP, strikeout per inning. That plays in a lot of formats and. Job security keeps ticking up, especially with Dylan Bundy to the bullpen. I mean, yikes. Like, a lot going wrong for the Angels this year, of Bar course. City. Ugh. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, geez, he did. <laughs> I, I think Bundy may have a chance to come back in that rotation. But, uh, no, it's I love this. This is kind of funny. Um, you're like, 3 8 9 ERA, so uh, good. You know, there's like first level analysis, right? Good. 473 whip, FIP bad <laughs> projected 411 whip uh fit good <laughs> you can kind of like uh like hit all the all the ways uh all the analysis sort of uh, branches on the tree on the way down it's a it's scripted uh, debate like it, it's like a factor fluke argument just writing itself right there on the page yeah, and even within uh, the confines of stuff plus, you can kind of continue down this uh, down this arena where like uh, overall stuff plus ninety four, eh, not so good. Well, slider and changeup both above average. That's pretty good. Uh, you know, fastball only you know ninety one uh, stuff plus, not so good. But then you look and you're like, hey, there's four average pitches here, and the sinker's at eighty two. So it's like there's five you know, close to average pitches here. That's pretty good, you know? <laughs> and then you go over uh, to to Command Plus, and uh, I think you get with him at least a sort of league average, 94 Command Plus, mediocre. But it all adds up to, like, matchups play to me, man. I don't, I don't believe in him so much. There's so much up and down here um, that I just don't believe in him as, like, a... Like a Rock solid acquisition. I'm in. I think as a cheap pitcher goes, he ticks enough boxes where I want to take that chance. I want pitchers like in the, the AL West. The two above average secondaries, the, the passable fastball. Yeah, it's good enough because the arsenal's deep enough where he can get away from that fastball a bit more. Hopefully the Angels have him make that adjustment. Swinging strike rate's really good too. I, I like the direction that's headed. So I think even if the ratios don't come out the way you want, the decays keep coming. And at least if you have that floor... That's worth taking a chance on if you're looking for relatively inexpensive pitching to go after via trade or in a shadow league, possibly still scoop up off the wire. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Uh, The last guy I want to talk about in this group, Tarek Skubal. He has been... 
it's been up and down, and it was mostly down early and up lately. It's been a, a fairly, I don't know, predictable sort of ride. A young guy still trying to figure it out, putting some pieces together, a boatload of strikeouts so far. FIP doesn't believe here at this point. A 5 FIP on a 406 ERA thus far, but a 455 FIP going forward. Plenty of Ks, probably higher risk and higher potential reward than someone like Sandoval, though. And the thing I cannot separate from the Tarek Skubal expectations, you know, is the minor league track record. I have a very difficult time seeing a guy with that minor league track record putting up below average ratios in the long run. But there have been some tweaks to the arsenal so far. So he's kind of been a different pitcher in the last probably seven or eight starts than he was throughout the first month of the season. Is the current version of Tarek Skubal worth going after right now? Well, let's see here. I mean, I, I can, the easy answer from Stuff Plus is uh, not really. Uh, just a, a lot, like a fair amount of pitches, but like the four-seam fastball is below average. The knuckle cover curve is below average. Um, you know, the sinker is about average and the slider is above average, about average. The changeup is just rates really poorly. 81. Uh, for a pitch that he throws more than any other secondary pitch. Um, you know, and, and if you want to say split finger changeup, yeah, he's been kind of toggling that switch. The split finger does even worse. So, um, you know, his stuff plus has been mediocre and with a down arrow. Like his last appearance, he had an 87 stuff plus. Um, and that's supposedly with these uh, changes that you're, you're making, you know, like in terms of, um, uh, in terms of what he's done over time. I mean, Brooks baseball uh, definitely has him uh, is, is not working. So it doesn't matter. Um, but uh, yeah, there's what, what is he, what do he do? He toggled the split finger and the changeup, right? What else did he do? Dot net, dot net, dot net. I got it on dot net. It's just not, it's not, Oh, it's, Oh, I picked a hitter, hitter, Therese Google. Come on. Why would <laughs> I want the hitter tricks? <laughs> that make any sense. Oh, good Lord. Um, all right, so uh, usage and outcomes. Here we go. He has turfed the splitter and gone to the regular change, which is a good change by Stuff Plus. However, you know, just looking overall at his movement types, the reason why Stuff Plus doesn't like him is that there's not that much uh, difference, differentiation between, like his fastballs are just... The fastball doesn't have good ride. The sinker doesn't have good sink. Uh, the the slider is about average in all respects. The curve is slightly above average in terms of depth, um, and uh, the changeup does not have much good movement differentiation. But it looks like you know it has a twelve mile an hour gap. So you know maybe there's something there. Maybe Stuff Plus is missing something on this guy. We've done updates where a guy popped, right? Um, so maybe Stuff Plus is missing. So you could go back to your kind of uh, strikeouts minus walks and you get an 18%, which is above average. And, you know, you got a nice home park. I, it all adds up to a guy that I might pick up um, for the Tigers. For the like, I would like to be able to use him in a way where I can use him in Detroit. You know, just to give myself a soft landing. Because look at those home runs. You know, last 100 innings, you're still talking about a two home runs per nine. I think the problem with Scooble also could be second-half workload management. I mean, you can deal with that problem when you get there, but I, I do wonder if he's the kind of guy that they back off of maybe in the second half of August or at least in the early part of September. But just going back to the beginning of May, and I'm curious if there's a, a clear point on the charts you're looking at where he made that switch with the, the split and the change. Going back to May 7th, the numbers are excellent. I mean, that's an arbitrary cutoff point, but that's 10 starts. And it's a 76 to 22 strikeout to walk, eight home runs allowed, so 1.3 homers per nine. So not the absolutely disastrous start that he had, where he was yielding all of the hard contact all the time. So after the Yankees start, yes, the uh, May seventh would have been Minnesota was that matchup, the first one that would be oh, included. That's pretty interesting. That is where he turfed the splitter for the changeup. It just says it's like a switch flipped when he did that in terms of the results. Started throwing more sliders. 
I just wish that Stuff Plus liked that. It, I mean, it likes a, a fair amount, right? I guess. I mean, he went from throwing a, a 73 split finger to an 82 changeup. Um, but that doesn't seem like enough to power all this. Uh, he also started throwing the sinker, which he hadn't been doing before. And the sinker grades out as a positive over his four seam. So maybe this is like the undercover thing he did. You know, everyone's talking about the changeup, but it's actually maybe things playing better off the sinker because he definitely was not throwing a sinker at all before that day. And now he's throwing it about, you know, 10 to 20% of the time, which is taking away from the four seam. Was it just an arsenal of, of spare parts or things that didn't really work off of each other initially? And he, he found the right tweaks to at least make things a little bit more cohesive? I mean, he didn't throw the sinker at all last year. And I feel like, I don't know the whole backstory, but there, there was a movement in the game to uh, to kind of get everybody to the four seamers, right? And, you know, the quality of the four seam almost be damned, right? It's like, this is a four seam league. You better throw it, right? We want those whiffs at the top of the zone. What's interesting is you can get whiffs at the top of the zone with two seamer. Just watch Anthony Discofani. Like, that's how he's getting his whiffs uh, is with the two seamer at the top of the zone. I mean, even guys like Bauer and Kluber do that. So, um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, they probably were coaching him in a certain direction. And then maybe, uh, apparently, May 15th is about when uh, spin rates started going into decline uh, from the sticky rate stuff. That's a, a finding that Rob Arthur had. So maybe he was just like, uh, well, I got to ditch the sticky stuff soon anyway. Like the chatter is that, you know, we got to stop doing it. I don't, have a, I don't have the spin rate in front of me. I don't think he's on my biggest losers part. But he might not show up as a biggest loser guy if he made that change in May. You know what I mean? Because of the way... Uh, my my method works. Or I'm looking at this versus this time period. So if he's already going down, he won't show up. Um, and I don't remember him being on that on that list. But my point is, at some point he was like, "Hey, how about my sinker?" <laughs> 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 Which I don't think he just like came up with. He probably you know there's like that's sinkers are like what kids have in in high school and college, right? So I think that, I think they were probably like, "Yeah, f it." It's not like you're giving up two homers per nine. And a lot of those are on the four scene. Let's uh, let's uh, let's check out this uh, this sinker you've got. Hopefully, that sheds some light on a few different pitchers you can consider for the second half, all at different ranges. I'll say you you convinced me a little bit on that one. I, I think they're digging in a little bit further. I don't think I want to be a stuff absolutist where I'm just like poor stuff. I'm never in on him. But I think uh, that was an interesting foray into. I think I'm a little I, I'm a little bit more positive about him than I was. Hey, I'm glad that I'm, I'm doing my job uh, trying to <laughs> convince you on players. And may I never be as wrong about anyone as I have been about Victor Robles again in my entire <laughs> life. Because, again, my greatest 2021 humiliation. But a few others that I wanted to uh, point out. Uh, Randy on Twitter mentioned on Monday that Chris Taylor has been awesome this season. There was a recent episode, I think... I think it was Monday's episode where I said he was a part of the reason the Dodgers were underperforming lately. Not the case at all. I had the Fangraphs depth charts page open that was looking forward with projections, not the one that has all the current stats on it. It even seemed weird when I said it, but didn't have the right page in front of me. Chris Taylor's been outstanding this year. It's more Pollock, you know, and Taylor's been stealing some of that uh, from from Pollock out there and in, in, in the outfield, so. Yeah, so thank you to Randy for pointing that out. It's important for us to be right. Uh, Eno was right, by the way. Michelle Baez on Monday's episode. Michelle, my bell. No, uh, you know, the, the thing is sometimes my like French and German training uh, sends me in the right direction. I do want to apologize, though. Uh, I don't want to be seen as I wasn't laughing because of uh, gender stuff. And, you know, if you, you know even if it's called Michelle, like that's fine. But uh, Michel is more like a like a French or Spanish reading of uh, of, of Michael. I mean, it's just a slightly it's just a slightly different uh, phonetic uh, situation there. I was laughing at myself mostly for uh, just being so awful uh, when I tried to to do this. And I'm and I and I'm not trying to make fun of, of players. I'm not trying to make fun of people's names. I my name has been made up fun of my whole life. That's not that's not the point. If you hear me laughing on this show. I'd say about 80% of the time it's at me. <laughs> That's how I took it when we were talking about it the other day. Uh, I hope everybody heard it that way. And yeah, that's, yeah. yeah. The thing about names too, like people have called me Van Ripper my entire life. Every teacher I ever had in school, 
And it's like there are obviously there a million no, worse things in the world, two but peas in there, though. <laughs> no, there's not two peas. Like it's pretty obvious that there's only one, and yeah. that sort of nudges me toward the hey, try to get people's names right. It's just important yeah. to do that. Could so. have been one. It could have been okay in college. Van Bong Ripper. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> never, never got that one. That's the first time. Age thirty six. The first time someone yes! put that one on me. Yes. Uh, we had a tweet from Rex. And uh, he suggested Cabrian Hayes as the next Jesse Winker. And I think that's right in line with the type of profile you're looking for from a guy that could go for like mid-ish round sort of expectations up to early round expectations. He looks amazing. Winker is a guy who was early on. I have tons of shares everywhere. And the, the it's just that you hear it every time I talk about players. I want guys who can hit the ball, who make contact and show some ability with power, there's just so much more opportunity to leap up from there. And then I just think the bell curve for guys that strike out a lot are like, you know, like, watch Hira. It's like he came in, he was exciting, but, like, even if he gets it together and gets it down to, like, 31 32%, he's going to be useful for a little bit, but I don't want the back end of that either. So Chris Carter is, like, just the guy who scared that that belief into me. <laughs> Where it's like, yeah, he was useful for a while, but uh, it it fell apart real quick, you know, and it wasn't, it wasn't all that useful in the middle either. So. Really, really hope that's not the road that we're going down again. Uh, but thank you for that tweet, Rex. Uh, Joe on Twitter tweeted at us to say, every time you'd pull a name from a new starter to discuss stuff plus, I was hoping it was Eli Morgan. His swinging strike rates look pretty good. How is his stuff plus number? I should have had that rating. I, in in my notes for the show, I was uh, I think I had circled JC Mejia as uh, someone I like a, a little better. Actually, Morgan Stuff Plus is eighty five. He has no pitch that's above average, um, and he has been surviving mostly on location strategy, which I think is the thing that sometimes leads us astray on the Indians, is that they have the best location strategy. He's, more, he's an Indian, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, they have, he has a 97 command plus, but he has a 105 location plus. That just tells me that the Indians are telling him the best places to put his, his pitches, and that tracks with what I know of their, um, of their preparation. I think that Aaron Savali on another team, Aaron Savali on the Nationals, would have had a really hard time. So uh, Morgan, that means that Morgan's landing spot is good, but if you're going to talk Indians, I think the one I like is Juan Carlos Mejia. Yeah, with Morgan, be very careful. I think he's extremely matchup dependent at this point as they continue look at to look for innings. Henkes and Quantrill, like these guys, like have below average stuff, but they in the right park and with the right game plan, they have the right game plan every time. Like they can still useful, but like you're gonna land, you're gonna step on some lines. Quantrill is exactly that guy because I thought of all those names, I thought he was just a tick above them, and eh, it has been rough. And he's been sitting around ninety nine hundred stuff, so like I think you'll have a good start on him. I just don't know which one it will be. In fact, I did a brief on him where I was like, maybe take the under. It was uh, in the last one, it ended up being nine four. I was like, oh, betting is hard. It's very it's exhausting. <laughs> yeah. uh, Rob on Twitter wanted to know if we had stuff in command numbers for Tyler McGill of the Mets. And I'm assuming, and this, uh, uh, I'm, I'm assuming we're saying it right. I mean, there's a there's a no in there. Yeah. Um, but uh, he actually, I think uh, I remember looking at this one. Um, he uh, had an impressive. Uh, yeah, the the secondaries are impressive. And the fastball is not, and he throws the fastball a lot, which I think is actually sort of hopeful, right? You know, he has a 112 stuff plus changeup, a 107 cutter, a 102 slider, a 101 curveball, and then an 84 forcing. Hmm. I don't know. I think uh, there's also just the question of uh, forcing specific pitchers right now. I'm not casting aspersions. I'm just saying, like, four-seamers are taking the biggest hit in baseball right now among all the pitchers. Yeah. So well. I, uh, it's a good pitcher's park. Uh, he might have some good matchups, and if he can throw fewer fastballs, uh, there could be something there. 
there was also a question that came in about Bailey Falter, who we talked about, and it was just about whether long stride and releasing the ball closer to the plate actually is a factor in Stuff Plus. And it is uh, in the feature selection. This is something I want to uh, explain about the feature selection that was we got some DMs about it and stuff and uh, been having in a conversation with Alan Nathan about the importance of spin. And um, he was basically thinking that uh, spin by itself wouldn't be that useful for stuff. Um, and so I replied that uh, when we did feature selection, spin rate was the third, uh, the third feature on the list. Um, and so that's, that, that sort of had people thinking that like, oh, um, more spin is always better, and it's the third most important feature. It's the third most important thing in stuff. That's not quite true because stuff is like an interactive model where all these pitches interact with each other. And so for one pitch, for example, change-ups, less spin is better, right? But spin is still uh, important to the change-ups value. It's just that it's less spin is better, right? So it, I think it is still true to say that spin is important to the the stuff of a pitch uh, and very important because it's near the top. But it's not like you couldn't – one way I was doing this, and maybe uh, more of the data nerds will get this, but like one way I was saying is, is you couldn't do a weighted regression and use the list that we have, the features, and out pops like a, a stuff metric. You know what I mean? Like it's not just like A plus – it's not like 10 of A and 8 of B – and see and 20 in 20 of spin rate and you know what i mean like it, that's just not how it works it's it's just a description of like what features were important to the model and spin by itself was important uh extension is on the model it is not high up um and that feats like when i've done correlations where i'm like you know people talk about perceived velocity like oh this guy released so close to the plate it's more like a 95 mile hour fastball well when i looked at it i didn't really find that like oh you know, guys with amazing extension outperform guys with less extension on fastballs. It just it didn't show up that way. I think maybe uh, batters adjust uh, to some extent, but there were extension does matter in the model, and he has a 100 stuff plus, and it's been trending up. In fact, three of the last four starts are above 105 stuff plus uh, because his pitch mix is moving around. Um, and his length in each appearance is moving around. But what I would say is, here's a guy with above average stuff, I think way above average uh, deception. And then I think from our last show, the best command of all of the young pitchers that we were talking about, 110 command plus. So uh, we were heavy in on him before, and I'm heavy in on him now. Like I think that's one of the better uh, young pitchers, even with the, the Philadelphia Park situation. Yeah, I think occasionally you'll be careful with him at home, but generally there's quite a bit to like with Bailey Falter, and hopefully he can do some of the things we were hoping that Spencer Howard was going to do. And they're desperate for him. They need innings real bad. They continue to sort of just tread water as a slightly below 500 team. Thanks a lot for those questions and those follow-ups. We want to be right. We want to get things as clear as we possibly can. Uh, one very disturbing story that Britt has been reporting on along with Katie Strang are the allegations of sexual assault against Trevor Bauer. Uh, you know, I've read the full piece and it is troubling and disturbing and it makes you feel awful. And it is an ongoing investigation for the Pasadena Police Department right now. Bauer uh, released a statement just through his attorney. There has not been a lot of communication there. And I'm speechless. The, the more I think about the details of this case, these these are just some of the most upsetting allegations you could possibly learn about. Yeah, yeah. And like consent to some uh, act is not equal consent to everything. So, um, you know, I, I, I think this is pretty deplorable. And I think one thing that really stands out for me is that like, can't believe the Dodgers are going to let him pitch on Sunday. They're kind of throwing up their hands right now, saying uh, it's on the commissioner's office, and um, you know they've they've taken it out of our hands. But I don't think it's ever truly out of your hands. As a team, you can suspend a team employee if you like, you know. Uh, so that's I think just evading uh, responsibility. And then the commissioner's office has the power to suspend someone with uh, maybe with pay. Uh, for up to seven days while the investigation is ongoing. Maybe he's not doing that because he thinks the investigation will take longer than seven days, but then this is just going to be a terrible book. If it's going to take longer than seven days and we're talking about 
you know, a month of Bauer pitching and giving value to the Dodgers and making money and, um, and just being like a terrible message to anybody who has ever, you know, been close to this or suffered this sort of thing on their own. Like, it's just, it's like a, you're not, you're not valued message. I feel like, um, and it's just, we're just going to let him pitch through all this. So I just, um, I think it's, uh, I think it's terrible. Even if the, the even if the outcome uh, ends up being like, um, you know, somehow, uh, there's more consent there on her part than we know about and, um, and they can prove it or something, you know, I, I think it would just be better for everyone if he just wasn't pitching during this. Yeah. We'll see if that changes here in the next couple of days, but uh, great reporting, difficult reporting done by Britt and Katie Strang on that story. Of course, all the details are, are up on The Athletic if you want to dig deeper into that story, but definitely a, a very troubling situation involving Trevor Bauer. But that is going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. You can find Eno on Twitter at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. You can drop us a line, Rates and Barrels at TheAthletic.com. We are back with you on Friday. Thanks for listening. 